This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Intel slips seven nanometers. SC20 goes virtual. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Tiffany Trader. Tiffany, we've got some big news this week in HPC as Intel slips out its 7 nanometer parts, and we're planning for a virtual conference for SC20 instead of heading to Atlanta. First, I want to make quick mention that we got our newest market model and forecast out from Intersect 360 Research, and thank you for the very nice coverage in HPC Wire. Happy to do that. Yeah, we had a good interview. Good, good article. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the podcast with that now, but in general, we had a healthy 2019 with the market up 8.2%. That was ahead of forecast. And the bigger news in the forecast is that we've adjusted things for 2020 and the five-year forecast as we look at the potential major market effects of COVID-19. We're headed almost definitely toward our first loss in over a decade since the recession in 2009, but that'll be followed a loss in 2020 by a rebound in 2021 as we recapture some of the lost sales. That's an idealized forecast, of course, because we're hoping that we get through the economic effects of the pandemic. We're going to talk about this and a lot more with respect to our forecast in a special webinar that'll be uh, on Thursday, August 6th at, at 9 a.m. Pacific time or noon Eastern time. And you can register for that free webinar uh, there's a registration page at intersect360update.eventbrite.com, or you can find the information for that on our Twitter handle at intersect360 or on our website at intersect360.com. So with that quick plug for our forecast out of the way, I want to get to the big news, which is a disruption to Intel's roadmap, Tiffany, where they've now had another delay, another redefinition, and it looks like their seven nanometer parts are slipping out. Mm. Yeah, so Intel announced during their July Q2 earnings call uh, that they're, they're expecting a, a one-year delay on their seven nanometer process technology. Uh, which you know they're planning a GPU and CPU parts for, um, and they say that this will this will create an approximately six month shift for the CPU product timing relative to prior expectations. That last part's pretty much a, a quote from the CEO Bob Swan, and they uh, Bob Bob Swan also said that the primary issue is a defect mode in the seven nanometer process that resulted in yield degradation. Um, and yeah, he, he's the one that um, made this announcement on, on the call. Now, any delay in product is never good for any company, particularly in HPC. But my read as an analyst here is that this has uh, got some particularly bad complications because Intel is been riding a wave of delays and cancellations of products that are HPC related. The biggest and most notable, of course, was Xeon Phi, which has been a story of the past decade behind us. It was originally announced in 2010 before being introduced in 2012. It was going to be a coprocessor. It was going to be a standalone processor. It was in the TN Hu system. It was briefly on top of the top 500 list. And by the end of the decade, it was canceled for, for lack of adoption. Uh, now, that's one story among several others. Omnipath is another notable one. Now getting this product delay out there. Now, there's there's different products here related to mm -hmm. 
the uh, seven nanometer process. We're looking at things like the Sapphire Rapids processor and particularly the, the Intel XE or Pontevecchio GPU, both of which are important to the HPC community. So as you were saying, based on their, their track record uh, with the multi-year 10 nanometer delays and then the canceled products like the, the Phi and like Omnipath, um, you know, this, this um, I think it seems optimistic here to think they'll be able to shrink that one year delay on the seven nanometer down to six months. We'll have to see how that plays out. The company does say it's invested in contingency plans to hedge against further schedule uncertainty and that it is leveraging improvements in design methodology such as dye disaggregation and advanced packaging, quote unquote. Um, but, you know, this um, does potentially put a kink in Intel's exascale plans or at least their, their timeline and rollout. So the company is, of course, prime on the Aurora machine, the Argonne Aurora machine, um, and had been stating publicly that it would be standing up the first US exascale machine. Uh, this was already somewhat in contention uh, because of there were these dueling timelines between Argonne and, and uh, Oak Ridge, which will be standing up the Frontier system. Also, they were both looking at the end of 2021, the Frontier system, of course, being a uh, Cray Shasta uh, with AMD GPUs and, and CPUs. So Argonne is, Argon is supposed to be built, uh, the plan there is to use a 10 nanometer Sapphire Rapids Intel CPU together with really, which is with the heart of the machine here is the seven nanometer XE data center GPU codenamed Pontevecchio. Uh, it is of course the latter, that seven nanometer part that is impacted here. And Intel says that Pontevecchio CPU, data center CPU, GPU will be coming now in, it's saying late 2021, which of course it would have to be late 2021 to, to keep that, that uh, Aurora schedule or now possibly early 2022. So late 2021, early 2022. Um, and to, to be clear, like uh, at the end, I think some of the mainstream reporting misses this, uh, Ponte Vecchio was to be Intel's first seven nanometer product. That no longer seems to be the case. Um, you know, Bob Swan on, on, the, on the Q2 earnings call was, um, he said that, uh, Intel's being pragmatic and, quote, deploying the process technology that delivers the most predictability and performance for their customers, uh, whether it be in our process, external foundry, an external foundry process, or a combination of both. Uh, and then he also says that Pontevecchio, uh, the company's data center GPU design, will use external and internal process technologies combined with world-leading packaging technologies. And then he said that Intel's first seven nanometer product would be a client CPU. So it's looking like that Ponte Vecchio is no longer, uh, will not will not be on seven nanometer, at least not at launch. Um, and, uh, and two, that Intel will be outsourcing some of its fab requirements, presumably to TSMC, as uh, really that would be, that would be the only option. Well, I think you've done a good analysis reading between the lines, Tiffany, about what this means for the Aurora system or the A21 system, which might not be in 21 now after all. It really depends on what they're doing with the GPU in this time frame. This is consistent with what we wrote in the threat section of our SWOT analysis in the Intel's vendor profile that we published in November 2019, reading from our own report 
in the threat section, we said that the bigger threat to Intel is Intel itself. Intel's recent track record in HPC projects outside of its Xeon scalable processors has been poor, and Intel's attempts to integrate more of the HPC value chain, such as with OmniPath or OpenHPC, have not been universally embraced by server vendors. Now all eyes are on Aurora and two important components, Intel XE and One API. If either fails to meet expectations or, heaven forbid, gets canceled, it may become one misstep too many, particularly with AMD and other competition waiting in the wings. And the Aurora supercomputer is on a timeline with the AMD-based Frontier system right behind. Since both are Cray Shasta systems, it stands to reason that Cray could build either one first, pending readiness of the processors and the sites. Should Intel falter with Aurora, the DOE could be quick to save face by promoting Frontier into the lead role. So that's what we wrote in that report in November 2019. And now here it is. This is exactly what we're faced with. If there's going to be some slip to Ponte Vecchio that delays uh, Aurora, I would think that the DOE would be very quick to just put Frontier into that lead position of the first US Exascale system. And the more interesting question becomes, which comes first, Aurora or El Capitan? And is Aurora going to meet the, a, a time frame where it even is the second US Exascale system? That'll hold up. And I would think that the DOE would only tolerate so much of a delay on Aurora, you know, before they they looked at redefining that contract again. So I think that you know, putting it into uh, the first quarter of of uh, 2022 is one thing, but I think if it went, went much farther beyond that, you know, I don't. Who knows what the what the DEO, DOE would do uh, at that point? Well, this is getting to be somewhat of an embarrassment. All this system does is get redefined. Let's not forget that this was originally a pre-exascale system in the in the Coral time frame. Uh, it's been redefined for the cancellation of Omnipath. It's been redefined for the cancellation of Xeon Phi. Uh, and this would be another one going going forward. I think there's another interesting possibility here. And if we're going to really look at what can be done in order to save face, if the GPU is the problem, would they redefine it to get rid of the Intel XE or Ponte Vecchio GPUs and bring in NVIDIA? Would NVIDIA want to ride to the rescue and be the GPU on the Aurora system? That, that is that's an interesting possibility. We'll just have to see how this plays out and we don't have to wait too much longer. It's, it's only about another another year, a year or so away from now. So, <laughs> Well, I, ideally it is. I, I guess we don't know. In the meantime, AMD has been doing a happy dance and NVIDIA probably in the in uh, in the background doing the same thing. Uh, maybe we'll learn more at supercomputing, but that brings us to our other big story for this week, which is that uh, the conference chair, Christine Quickie, has announced that Supercomputing 20, uh, removing all remaining possible doubt, is going to be a virtual conference. We won't be in Atlanta. We'll be online for SC20 this year, due, of course, to the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, um, see, re recapping this, of course, Atlanta, Georgia was to be the venue this year. The event's to be held November 15th through the 20th. Then in June, the SC committee put out guidance saying the event would go on as planned, but there would be a hybrid event with a physical and virtual component. And then this week, they, they uh, Christine Quichi, the chair, made the, made the call. They made the call to go all virtual. You know, I don't know what the internal process was like on that, but I mean, it seemed evident to me at a certain point, especially we got into July, you know, with the, the chaotic and uncoordinated response to the pandemic in the U.S. and, and, and maybe in particularly Georgia, you know, that this, this event would, would not be able to go to go on. Um, 
you know, I, we, we know from doing our own events, there are all sorts of contractual obligations and contingencies tied to dates. And, um, you know, I think that likely play, played a factor into, into when, when SC made the call, you know, along with its ongoing discussions with the sponsors. Uh, but, you know, going by HPC Twitter, uh, people were getting restless for a definitive call and, and understandably so since, you know, then, of course, they all have their own extensive planning to undertake and their own contractual obligations. But um, all that said, you know, I'm glad the call was made uh, and I um, think it was the right call. I'm sure that everyone is doing the, the best they can under these extraordinary circumstances. Um, so I, I call for goodwill to to all parties. Um, and I, ISC, we saw ISC was, I think, our first big test case of, of what, what can be done here with virtual events in the um, you know, during this time in, in the HBC community. And I think they did an amazing job in making that transition. Um, and SC now has an, a longer runway to, to plan for their admittedly larger event, um, but they have a serious, dedicated uh, mindshare, um, long track record of, of putting on these events. So, you know, I'm sure that they, um, you know, I, I have a good feeling that uh, they'll, they'll be able to make it, make it a success. Yeah, I agree uh, on both counts that, first of all, uh, this is the right choice. We're just not in a position to be hosting a major in-person conference in November and get people to sign up for that. Uh, we're better off just saying, all right, we're taking a gap year on the HPC conference series. I'm not in the camp that says we can just stay virtual and do this. I think it's too important to the community to be able to meet in person in the long run. And I'll look forward, hopefully, to getting back to in-person conferences next year. That said, we're gonna be hugely involved in the supercomputing conference uh, as we normally have been. And I have confidence that the SC committee can put on a successful event. We will be uh, involved and, uh, and I hope it can be as immersive as always. I think what I would say about it is that uh, as much as I thought that some of the early conferences like ISC and GTC did a good job pivoting in a very short time. Here, we're in a situation where the SC Planning Committee has a little more foresight about this coming. And other conferences, I think, even outside of computing, are, are really looking at how to invest in virtual events and make them compelling, immersive experience. And as a supercomputing community, with this much technology, I think with this kind of lead time, I'm really hoping to see something that's um, not just an adequate replacement, but great in its own way. I think with the planning time that we have heading into SC, I would hope that uh, we can do something really special with a virtual event that's, that's different and, and capture something that maybe we wouldn't have done with a live event. And uh, we can look back on SC20 as something that was special in a different way. For yeah, for more information on the particulars of the SC event, uh, there is a, a FAQ on the SC site. If you Google, rather than read the URL, if you Google SC20 event FAQ, you'll find it. A couple highlights: uh, there will be no live streamed components. All of the conference elements will be pre-recorded. Um, you know, I think I, I understand the decision personally. I think it might be nice to have a, one or two events live, even just one, to help generate a, excitement. Um, they. You know, I know there are ways to do it. We just hosted an AMD webinar that you uh, you, you uh, led, Addison, and did we did pre-recorded and some some uh, live Q and A sessions. Um, that said, SC did say they're looking to to at least have some interaction. I, they're they're going to there's going to be an opportunity to ask questions of the presenters via a, a, a synchronous chat. 
So I would I would direct our, our listeners to that virtual event back for, for more info there. Well, in fact, I would hope so, right? The big reason I like these conferences is the sense of community that we get from it. And if everyone's at home downloading uh, previously recorded content, the easy thing to lose is that sense of community. So I think that was exactly my point, that I'd like to see what we can do in order to bring that community feel to a virtual conference. Uh, that said, it's important to be there. We'll be there either way. So the countdown to SC20 virtual begins. And that'll wrap us up for another This Week in HPC. Thanks, Tiffany, for bringing us the news. And thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.